What's the game-changing realization that helped you build a high-performing team? That question is at the center of every episode of the HR Impact Show. Every HR professional wants to build a team that has empowered managers, engaged employees, and an organization that's striving to become elite. The challenge is that you're often told to do more with less. We're gonna fix that. Every week, we will feature executive and senior HR leaders from across the country, and they will share with us their actionable insights and best practices that can help empower you to create an engaged elite workforce. Here's the show. How do you go about building the plane while you are flying it? What does HR need to do to help organizations in times of massive change? Hi, everyone. I'm CT, co-founder at Engage Rocket. And in the studio today to answer this question is Jessica Sidnor. Jessica is the director of HR at the University of Chicago Library. And uh, she's got a lot of experience in building this plane while trying to fly it. Welcome to the show, Jessica. Thank you for having me, CT. I am the Director of Human Resources here at the University of Chicago Library. I've been here roughly a year and a half and have been in HR for approximately nine years, but in management capacity for over 15 years. I was thinking about my current experience here at the library and came into uh, the library, which had been at the onset, dealt with the pandemic and they had a lot of hiring needs. There was a lot of turnover at the senior leadership level. And so you had change management where new leaders are coming in, including myself. And so you're coming in to the situation and see what things need have immediate needs, but you also have employees who are seeking some immediate changes. And they've been uh, dealing with some um, concerns and um, have had questions and have had change management at the top. So it seems as though they would almost be able to see the light at the end of the tunnel and then inevitably someone leaves. And then you have a new administration come in and you feel as though you're losing hope. Um, And so as a leader coming into that environment, especially an HR person who is designed to be the face of people and culture and help influence and manage, that can be an overwhelming task when you come in the door because there's a lot of transactional things that need to get done, but there isn't a general expectation and a desire. And I think it's a responsibility for HR to shift from the transactional to the transformational. And so those are the things that I and my team have had to, obstacles we've had to manage and overcome during the past year and a half here at the University of Chicago Library. Uh, thanks for sharing that, uh, Jessica. And what I found very interesting in, in that introduction was it almost feels like you're carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders as HR. It, it struck me as unusual because when you're going through change, surely this should be the responsibility of every leader to try to navigate that change together with their team. It sounds almost like you feel an extra set of responsibilities as HR to carry the weight of that change. Why do you think that is? I think sometimes when you you are dealing with subject matter experts who are shifting to be people leaders, and this is not just unique to this current environment, I've seen it at the other organizations where people are technicians of sorts, but then they have to bake in the people leadership and the management component. Some people are not as comfortable. And to be fair, they have not had the adequate training. And so when HR comes in 
or they see HR, they want HR to come in and assist and help interpret, let's say, policies and procedures, because for the most part, people just want to get it right. And so when you are compounding, being short staffed, not necessarily having adequate training, people being burnt out, you are looking at HR as this beacon of hope. I don't think that it's unique just to this environment. I think post-pandemic, that has been the role some organizations have positioned or pivoted HR to be everything for everyone. And it's impractical. And that is why I have even had to adopt my style and reassess how I should play into this. Do you feel like this is HR in in some sense being a victim of its own success because you responded well during the pandemic you you stepped up took that seat at the table and then all of a sudden when things go wrong people start looking at hr and say hey what should we do and to a certain extent i would almost say that this is what hr professionals for decades have been working towards doing like earning that seat at the table being that trusted advisor to the business, being that strategic voice in times of change. Do you feel like this is something that you actually want to hold on to a little bit tighter? What makes HR special is that we have a duality. Oftentimes, if I feel strongly that our clients are everyone, I oftentimes talk to employees and they say, I'm not sure how to feel about HR. And in order for us to be successful, so we're typically the people that are bringing people through the door, passing them off to their departments, but we should continue that dialogue through post surveys, stay interviews. And so we're getting a sense, exit interviews, we're getting a touch point and really trying to tease out where is the temperament or the attitude of the employee population. But also having that seat at the table, we also know some things are coming down the pike, whether it's strategic strategic initiatives for the upcoming year. There may be difficult messaging that we will have to roll out in the upcoming months. And so we have to know that this is coming down, but also understand what is going on in the actual workplace. And when we're at those tables, be able to advocate, but also sometimes just share because we can't necessarily change a decision that is being made but we need to let people know this decision is forthcoming, but this is currently the temperament of our employee base. And so how do we craft a message and how do we roll out a plan that useful to be successful for the organization and we don't completely disappoint or discourage our employee population. And so having that seat at the table is critical, um, but to your point, we want to maintain that seat. So we almost have to shift how we've been positioned. So it's thank you for putting us at the table, but we cannot be the fire department all the time. Sometimes we cannot be the paramedics. We actually need to be the doctors who are sitting and looking at the charts and, and assessing a plan of care and not all being this is on fire right now and you need to put it out. We will be the, the, the firefighters at times. But that cannot be 100% of the time because for us, and I think people are seeing that post-pandemic, HR practitioners are burning out at a higher rate because we were, we were being leaned on. And that is an emotional component too and a psychological component because you're dealing with people. So you have to be sharp, but you have to be psychologically in a space to be able to 
sharply assess a situation. And that's difficult when you are constantly being thrown in the midst of panic. Yeah, that concept of compassion fatigue uh, has come up before where I think HR, you, you're forced to be compassionate to everyone else. And sometimes it's just so much, that much harder to be compassionate to yourself and to take that break and put respect those boundaries for yourself to protect yourself and put yourself in an emotional state that allows you to actually help other people in the organization. And if I can summarize what I heard correctly from what you said earlier, HR is in a special place because you're privy to privileged information about people, both, both what they think and how they feel. And you're also privy to ideally not that you've gotten the seat at the table, privy to upcoming changes in the business. And now the demand on HR becomes, how do you make sense of this for the people that you're dealing with? How do we navigate this change in a way that our people are most going to be able to not just adapt to it, but even thrive in this change? What, what are the tools that you use personally to get yourself through and, and thread this needle as you're working with the business and the changes that you're going through? The, the first things I had to do within our first three to six months while I was here is one, I had to reimagine the strategy that I thought I was going to come in and implement for just even the HR team. I had to hear what was being told to me were the needs of the organization, but tease out really what was the true needs of the organization, meaning what right now should possibly be reprioritized. So that still plays into reimagining the strategy. Then to your point about um, compassion fatigue, I had to, we had to demonstrate a little bit of a self-compassion. So I had to divorce myself from a timeline that was impractical to get things done because a colleague of mine let us know, reminded us we inherited some things and these things haven't just caught on fire. They've been brewing. And so in order for us to ensure that we put it out and engage the right players, that's going to take time. And so the last component is communicating and being realistic. And sometimes people don't want to hear, I can't get this done in three months, but here is potentially an option. That's something that's difficult to share. But I, I think when people talk about transparency, that's what they want to hear. They want to know what is going on. They don't necessarily want you to say, I'm going to solve it because that's that is also uh, misleading because when that deadline inevitably approaches, they're going to expect something. And then if you continue to kick the can down the road, you lose credibility, you build distrust, reinforce whatever narratives they've created in, in their minds or seen in other administration. So transparency means giving an update and saying, we thought we had a plan or other factors came into place, but this is where we're at in the stream of time. And so those are the four things that I did, I would say in my first three to six months. And that took a little bit of helping my colleagues and my reporting lines getting adjusted to that, but they were open to it. And when I communicated things and had data to support it or express some of my concerns, given the lens and what we are privy to when we're talking about employees, they respected 
our professional recommendation. Wow, it's been a great conversation so far. Make sure you join the HR Impact community where we gather a community of HR leaders just like you. This is a space where top people leaders share actionable insights and practical playbooks. Sign up today as a member for the community. Get updates on the latest HR resources and exclusive event invites. You can join the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR impact. And now back to the show. Let me break this down into the three parts uh, that you laid out, right? So the first one is really teasing out that those true strategic needs of the organization, identifying what needs to be prioritized and by when. Second one was around that self-compassion, understanding and squaring it with yourself that some of these fires that you've inherited is just going to take a little bit more time and giving yourself that permission to resolve them in the time that's needed. And then finally, it's around communicating and managing stakeholders in a very transparent manner. When it comes to teasing out the true needs of the organization, there are all these different techniques out there, five whys and, and so on. What is it that you found helpful when it comes to actively listening and piecing together and making sense of what the priorities should be? One thing I always like to do is worst case scenario. So I, I like to for people to lay out what their plan is. And then I will say, what will happen if this doesn't happen? And it might be something I have a, I, I know that will be difficult to accomplish in the timeline they set. But when people hear that, they immediately hear no. So I just ask a pro, what would happen if this doesn't happen? And as you're having that conversation, that um, stakeholder might talk their way into finding out that actually it'll be okay or I can push this off. And so that's the first approach. And then secondly, if everything remains the same and they say that they have to get these 10 strategic initiatives across the board, then you have to really have a conversation about compromising and be straightforward and say, this is a very ambitious timeline. I like to identify times in the year that are just typically hard for us to get anything accomplished for us being in academia is usually those November, December months because of the holidays and people take times off. So I identify pockets of time that we know are awash. And so once you start having that conversation, you're able to then probably have a smaller list of things. And then from there, we can talk about identifying who needs to do what. Does this person have to do everything more oftentimes than not? Then who are we delegating? Who are we identifying to um, complete these specific tasks? So in other um, organizations, I've used this model called the rapid model, where you are essentially identifying like who's the decision maker, who is the implementor, who's, who's the assessor. And that is a, a project management process of identifying roles within a, a, a project plan so everybody understands who is doing what. And oftentimes you can run parallel paths to get things accomplished. And we don't run into everybody hates at the end when a deadline is due and you're saying, oh, I thought you were doing it or no, I needed this information. No, at the beginning, we identify who is the final decision maker and who's doing all the work to get it up to a 90% big product so the decision maker can react, respond, you edit it, and then we finalize. So those are the three steps that I go through and I found success in that. A huge part of that process is you're also going to have to be comfortable with, you're going to have to manage resistance because I don't want to 
to put it out there like everything is always this is a, a fail self way to get things accomplished you're going to manage resistance you have to help them understand like see a lot of other components and i'm here to assist you not to be an impediment for the listeners who, who don't know the RACI model raci the r stands for the person who's responsible for the task a would be the person who's ultimately accountable for it C is just people that need to be consulted and I would be demanding it, I believe. So yeah. I believe actually setting those out do, does create a lot of clarity within the team. And I like the idea of that worst case scenario. What's the worst thing that could happen if this doesn't happen? Do you find sometimes though that you're that bad news Betty and people just look at you and say, Jessica, why do you keep coming to us with? The worst case scenario why can't you think more positive like why are you always why are you always so negative oftentimes i'm sometimes sitting in the room and in my head i am trying to identify the positive aspects of a a plan or a project but if i'm being frank that is not necessarily why we're here we our hr role is also to be uh risk mitigation and so while I can be complimentary and we can talk about things that look great, in which we do, my role is to think about what is some of the risks that is maybe risking the employee, whether it's contributing to morale or where there's legalities that we have to be worried about. And so that's my role is not to, for lack of better words, poo on people's plans. But we have to uh, make sure that we are operating in a framework that is legal, but also does not completely cause chaos. And so while you can be complimentary, that's not my job. And I have to remind people of that. Like, I will applaud you. I will say, great. And oftentimes when people look, they'll say, you, all don't, you don't have anything to say? And I say, no. Hey, let's celebrate that. I honestly have nothing to say. There are times where people, I would say, CT, people got uh, used to when they bring things to me, they know exactly the line of questioning. So for me, that made my job a lot easier because when they came, they had already worked through all the things I was going to ask and I didn't have to necessarily rain on their parade or they felt, right, you empower people. That goes into some other components as HR professionals is that you can't keep fishing for people. You teach them how to fish. And sometimes people teaching people how to fish is when I come to HR, and this is my style, other organizations might have a different HR philosophy. But when you come here and you're a leader, you need to have worked out some of the tactical aspects of your plan because I don't proclaim to know the nuances of your department, of your people, of the, the initiatives and the goals that you have. I won't know all that in and out. So I'm entrusting you to know that, and I'm just here to advise you. And that's the role I do. So when they go through that process and they know how Jessica or her team is going through the line of questioning, they do that preliminary work, that upfront work. When they bring it to us, we are typically being complimentary, celebrating that they've identified. And for them, they feel empowered and stronger so as they continue to make these decisions down the line, we do shift from what you what we talked about is no longer being the firefighter, but being that aspirational group where we are helping people decide what they want to accomplish. I kind of agree with you because you got to hope for the best, obviously, in everything, but plan for the worst. And you have you always have to have that balance um, between yeah. all of that. Now. We've talked a lot about this change management 
and how do we plan for this change but at the same time stay open to the fact that things are gonna change because that's just the way things are if you were to boil all of this down and into some framework or a checklist that others could take away from this conversation how would you do that what would you say to another EP of HR or chief people officer of how you think would be a good way to navigate through stressful, significant organizational change? I will say the first thing is to breathe. <laughs> but then I would say going back to the central themes of listening, active listening, ask probing questions, and then see if you can have an understanding of what the true priorities are. Recite, repeat it back to your senior leadership team and make sure you're crystal clear. Have self-compassion, but ask those challenging questions. Your tone and the way in which you ask can, it, it, it does wonders, but you will have, those, have to ask those challenging questions. What if this does not, what if we can't accomplish this? What would happen? Then be prepared to manage resistance. You manage resistance through having conversations, being clear in your communication. Then I would say find change agents, find champions. Someone is inevitably going to show themselves and demonstrate the willingness and the ability to help you carry some of these things across the line. And this might be embedded within the department. So I would say find these change agents. And then lastly is empower. We want to be advisees and consultants and again, move from that transactional transformational component. So when you empower those department line managers and they then are seen by their team as the leader and as the person who are making these decisions. The last thing is to divorce yourself from a style that may have worked in another industry in a smaller company, a larger company, you're going to have to adopt that component. And that's a shift for yourself. Because if you've seen success in another area, you sometimes want to copy and paste. It's impractical because you're dealing with different players and sometimes different budgets, et cetera, et cetera. It's also very practical steps, I think, for our listeners. I hope everyone would be able to take away from this and navigate through similar change that you have. Thanks so much, Jessica. If, if people want to find you to discuss some of these uh, topics a little bit more with you, what's the best way for them to do? So you can reach out to me via LinkedIn. It's my name as spelled. So you can find me, shoot me a message. If we need to take it offline, meet via Zoom, email, I'm completely open to it because I'm interested to continue this dialogue because someone might have a very drastic different take on this topic. <laughs> and so I'm interested to also just hear the successes of others as well in the change environment space. Thanks so much for hanging with us today, Jessica. And for those of you who are listening, I hope you enjoyed the show. Please do drop us a review, share this with a friend if you enjoyed it and tune in next time to the HR Impact Show where we cover more interesting and useful nuggets of uh, wisdom just like what we've done with Jessica today. Thanks so much for listening and see you again next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the HR Impact Show. We hope you liked the conversation. Don't forget to continue supporting us by joining the HR Impact community. You can find the community at www.engagerocket.co slash HR Impact. Tune in next time where we'll have another guest who's going to share with us the game-changing insights that help them build high-performing teams.